I think that's where the human content comes in. So if you picture the funnel, I mean, it starts off, you've got your awareness, consideration, conversion. Now, that's the bottom of the funnel. You've got your conversion, but you've got your loyalty and advocacy. So where does the pump and funnel come in? The pump sits on what I call the lake of loyalty. So you've Mm. got the the funnel at the bottom. It goes from conversion into loyalty. And then you've got the pump that pumps up from the lake of loyalty through advocacy to generate more awareness, to introduce you to more customers to begin with. Welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. Join your host, Dots Oyobulu, as he learns from CMOs, agency leaders, and business leaders about the state of performance marketing, plus insights on strategies, campaigns, and intelligence for commercial impact. Connect the dots and enjoy the latest episode. This episode is brought to you by Listen Network, where podcasts meet their potential. If you're a brand needing podcast episode promotion or podcast follower promotion, Listen Network is here to give you the best in-class analytics, podcast growth attribution, and podcast promotion success. Find out more at www.listennetwork.co. Hi, marketers. This is Dots, and welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast. With me here is David Bain, founder at Casting Cred and author of marketing now. He is also one of the most sought after content marketing thought leaders globally. We will discuss the pump and funnel performance marketing model for B2B brands. I know you guys are ready, so let's get it. David, welcome. How are you doing? Hey Dots, and thank you so much for having me on with you. I'm doing very well indeed, thank you. How are you? I am good, I am good. It's it's an honor to have you and, and thanks for joining the podcast. I know you. But our audiences don't. So do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, your background and your role and how you've become one of the greats when it comes to content marketing <laughs> strategies? Wow. Okay. So much in that introduction was incredible and I hope that I can possibly live up to it. So let's give it a go. So I am founder of Casting Cred. Casting Cred is a niche agency that specializes in content production for B2B brands, namely podcast production, video production, and producing books for B2B brands. I ended up in that industry because I was a marketing generalist for a while. I then got passionate about SEO, content marketing, but I found that podcasting was my true content passion. So back a long time ago now, about 2005 or so, I started my first podcast. I started a podcast called Digital Marketing Radio about 10 years ago. That did really well. That started to get to the top of places like Apple Podcasts for the phrase digital marketing. But I got so many brands approaching me to say, can I do that for them? Can I help them with podcasting? So that's how I got into producing podcasts and hence video shows and and books for other brands. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of books, I don't want you to give us a spoiler, but I would like some of us to know how that can be done so that they can reach out to you going forward. But what's the high level process on how you turn podcasts into books? Again, no spoilers. <laughs> A a, a few sneaky tips, maybe. So I I would start off simply 
audio podcasting to begin with. So I think there's multiple steps. There's generally six steps that I recommend people to go through. And one is starting a simple audio podcast, uh, a pre-recorded podcast, no video to begin mm-hmm. with at all, and simply concentrating on things like getting your microphone technique right and getting the subject matter right that you're talking about, getting comfortable with your show structure. And that normally takes about 20 episodes or so to do that. You can then move on to the next step, uh, which um, will involve perhaps producing your show as live, but not actually recording it live. So incorporating things like intro elements, outro elements, different bumper noises, upping your audio game as well. Maybe getting a slightly better microphone, maybe getting some audio interface or other piece of equipment that will enhance your audio by keeping everything at the same level and things like that. Mm. Step three will take you onto videos. Then you can concentrate on pre-recorded video and you can start getting comfortable with doing things like looking directly into the camera for the intro, for the outro, engaging directly with the viewer into the camera instead of actually thinking about how you're actually conducting yourself in front of the microphone or what you're going to say. Hopefully you've recorded enough audio episodes by then where it's second nature and then you can get comfortable with video. You can focus on improving yourself in front of the camera. Then you can move on to live video because with live video, of course, you get things like audience members interacting and asking questions. And that's something else that can put you off entirely as well. And so at the same time as getting comfortable in front of the microphone, knowing your topic, looking into the camera, you're also looking at the questions that are coming in. You're involving them in the show, but you're not losing track of what you're trying to share as part of the conversation. Next step five is moving on to maybe producing a virtual summit. So it's like producing multiple live shows all in a row. You've got about five or six episodes that you're all um, recording one after the other, all live in front of an audience. So that's a virtual summit. And then when you're producing the virtual summit, you can do that with a book in mind. So you can produce each chapter, each video with that chapter in mind, and then hopefully transcribe everything, get the transcription accurate, edit the transcription thoroughly so it looks like written content instead of spoken content, and that's your content for the book. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that and going into the detail again. At the end of the episode, if you're listening, we will find out how you can contact David if you want to make a book, the most efficient way I've ever heard. So (laughs) that is awesome. (laughs) Now to the topic here, the pump and funnel content marketing strategy and that model being used for B2B brands. This is a bit of an icebreaker when it comes to that topic. And there are many marketing trends out there and there are a lot of marketing technologies that are accompanying it. And I would like to ask, my first question is, how should we treat all this like, marketing trends and when they come out and how as a business how should we either accept reject or just be a witness to it and then in terms of the pump and funnel marketing model what is it exactly and how is it different from some of the other models that we've all been used to so far yeah every marketer i think is guilty of jumping on the latest tactics sometimes certainly earlier on in your marketing career, perhaps not as someone senior that understands that things change all the time. And the the more important thing is what you're intending on doing. And does this tactic actually 
add value and fit in nicely with what you're attempting to do. But to begin mm. with, you want to know everything. And, and I think that was my maybe initial mistake or, or good learning experience. So back in about 2007, I started doing face-to-face training sessions. So that was fairly early days of what was called internet marketing back then. So it wasn't really called digital mm. marketing, it was more internet marketing, but um, mm. s- similar kind of thing. And I used to run sessions and I was guilty of just trying to pack so much into these sessions. And I'm thinking that if I share as much as possible, then that's providing as much value as possible. And I started off with something that I called the 13 pillars of internet marketing, moved on to something that I called the 26 week digital marketing plan. And the feedback from the 13 pillars was it's great content, but what do I do now? How do I implement this? So I turned this into the 26 week plan, but it's still being prescriptive to brands about precisely what they should do. And I think Mm -hmm. the reality is, is that every brand and business is quite different in terms of what tactics they should embrace and what isn't quite right for them, either at that moment in time or forever. And I think that you need to truly understand what your strategy is and what your model is in order to apply your different tactics. So that's why when I was doing digital marketing training, maybe about five or six years ago or so, I decided to approach it differently because first of all, 15 years ago, there was a limited number of tactics that would work mm-hmm. online. You could almost list everything out that, that, that people could do. But fast forward to about five years ago or so, digital marketing meant so many different things. It was impossible to incorporate everything in a training program. In fact, the last version of an online training program that I offered was me recording 24 hours of material, which was utterly ridiculous, but trying to incorporate everything and realizing after that, I can't do that again. It's impossible. And I probably didn't include everything, but you can't possibly include everything. And every business shouldn't be doing everything. So following on from that, the next digital marketing training that I conducted, I actually decided to try and leave people with a model. So gave them examples of what tactics would work in different stages of the model, and then give them assistance with perhaps selecting other tactics themselves in the future so they could go away with this model and hopefully use that in their business and add to it. So they'd remember the model because there wasn't a vast amount of information that I included in the training session. And then they could add to it themselves, which would give them continuous value. So short answer to your question is don't jump on everything in terms of tactics, have a model that applies to your business and know precisely where that new tactic will fit into that model. And if it doesn't fit neatly into that model and provide additional value, disregard it and, and don't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. And I love the way you broke it down and going all the way back as to how things are. But, you know, like I said, I, I love the pump and funnel model. I think looking at it from that perspective makes sense to uh, marketers that are trying to connect the dots. No pun intended. But what is it? And how is it? To, I know how... They, they, we used to have the flywheel back in the days and we used to have the regular funnels and we should have all this stuff. But the pump and funnel itself, especially for like B2B brands, what is it and how is it of great benefit? 
how to B2B marketers out there. Well, I think to just to lead on from what I was saying, yeah. this model that I was trying to build as part of this training program, I had to think about, okay, what kind of model applies to every single type of marketing activity, maybe even offline marketing as well as online marketing. And mm -hmm. I came to the conclusion that it was a content marketing model that I needed because every type of marketing activity relies on great content, different types of content, yeah. even paid yeah. media. You know, what's your ad copy like? What's your title, your description, your landing page as well? And obviously your organic content, different types of organic media as well. So then I had a look about online to see what content marketing models already existed. And the model that I came back to was the 3H content model, which was initially for YouTube and it was developed by Google. And that is hero hub and help content. And that's yeah. relatively popular. But then I took a traditional marketing framework. So a process that people go through. So awareness, consideration, conversion, loyalty, and advocacy. And I tried to apply this 3H model to that process. And I felt that hero content mapped nicely to awareness. And I felt that help content mapped quite nicely to consideration. And hub content, I wasn't entirely sure mapped to anywhere at all. And then I didn't have anything at all to map to conversion, loyalty, and advocacy. So I thought, mm -hmm. okay, what we need is we need different types of content that can map to these different stages. Because it's all well and good having a model, having fancy buzzwords. I mean, this flywheel that you're talking about, there's a flywheel model started by HubSpot, and they're talking about attract, engage, delight, growth, promoters, strangers, prospects, customers, things like that. But it's hard to relate to as a marketer to know precisely where your marketing activity, your marketing tactic fits neatly into that nice sounding model. And I wanted it to be tactical as well as something that people could take away and, uh, and, and add to. So then mm -hmm. I decided to come up to these up with these four different, uh, three other types of content that would map to conversion, loyalty, and advocacy. So conversion, I called heart content, the heart of what a business does. Great sales pages. Loyalty um, was all about happy content, I thought. So I called that H. I wanted six H's if possible. Um, so happy content. Um, what does a customer experience as soon as they become a customer, as soon as they sign up? If it's something like a SaaS brand, do they have a nice welcome sequence? Do they have a nice initial series of videos that explains to them how to use the platform that they've just signed up to use? And human content is the type of content that I believe drives advocacy. Uh, because once you get serious about developing advocates, people that are happy to talk about your brand, you really have to have a personal relationship with them. So that human content, that the feeling that they have about doing things because they love an individual within that organization, as opposed to a brand that doesn't mean so much to them. So I think that's where the human content comes in. So if you picture the funnel, I mean, it starts off, you've got your awareness, consideration, conversion. Now, that's the bottom of the funnel. You've got your conversion, but you've got your loyalty and advocacy. So where does the pump and funnel come in? The pump sits on what I call the lake of loyalty. So you've got the, the funnel at the bottom. It goes from conversion into loyalty. And then you've got the pump that pumps up from the lake of loyalty through advocacy 
to generate more awareness, to introduce you to more customers to begin with. So that briefly is that five-step funnel that maps into the pump and funnel model, but also that sits on that is what I call the 6H content marketing model. So I, I mentioned hero mapping to awareness, help mapping to consideration, uh, heart mapping to conversion, happy mapping to loyalty, and human mapping to advocacy. There's the one missing one there. There's the hub content. And I believe hub content, like this podcast, like this video series, actually sits yeah. outside the, the funnel. Because if you're working okay. in B2B, you typically have quite a long sales cycle. Yeah. So what I think that people generally do is they discover you through that hero content. They maybe do a little bit of research and you help content from there. But if they're not ready to do business with you, then your podcast, your video series, your training series gives people an opportunity to keep your brand top of mind without you having to sell actively to them. And I think that's a wonderful use of a podcast. Yeah. So not fitting directly into a funnel, but just outside. Yeah. Demand gen, as some people would call it, a demand gen initiative. Yeah. Yeah. The, sure, this sure, is... sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Hero content can do that. Hub content can do that. Yeah. As well. And I like what you did with regards to, you not only mentioned the funnel from a marketer's perspective, you mentioned the funnel from a customer's perspective. The awareness, the consideration, the decision, being a champion or being a, a loyalist, being a loyalist, then being a champion. So, because that was going to be my next question. So, having the six H's in terms of the content hubs and um, the content types or content categories, keying into each part of the customer's funnel, and also having us using this from our own perspective in terms of the kind of journey that they want to go. I know that when it comes to like, breaking things down there are other considerations like the decision making steps of each b2b industry is different how say for airlines how airlines get clients is different from a decision making steps and how long that takes from a SaaS company and so on and so forth and again that's really we can spend a day discussing decision making funnels but if you're listening it's basically just doing as much customer research as possible and finding out what those decision-making steps are from the customer's perspective, tying that into their own funnel and connecting all the content types that uh, David had mentioned here. Uh, and, now, and now they all fit together. Now, I would like you to talk a bit more, David, about the demand generation, the hub content, and the demand generation in general. And... When we are looking at, it's been trending nowadays. We have guys like Chris Walker talking a lot about it and saying lead generation campaigns don't work anymore. It should be demand generation campaigns. There's nothing wrong with the channel. It's There's something wrong with the content. And we have all these different B2B marketers just driving the, there's also like an angle of sales enablement with regards to what demand generation can do and so on and so forth. It's probably this podcast episode is probably under repetition, but I would like to see your own perspectives in how we use marketing content to speak to audiences that have a common problem and us providing unique solutions to that problem with our marketing. Sorry, is that, I hope it's not very confusing question. <laughs> no, not at all. No, there are yeah. many different directions I could take the question and I'm just uh, contemplating which 
direction might uh, be more valuable for your audience. Take, I like the way that you take, you recognize take any, take any angle. Yeah, yeah. I like the way that you recognize that the core elements of the pump and funnel actually started with the customer. That this awareness consideration, it's not something that you create. It's something that the customer experiences, and your mm. content that you provide is to assist the customer through that process that they naturally follow. And I think the key, my key thought on demand generation is that it's all about ensuring that the customer finds the right piece of content at the right time that really serves their needs. And Mm -hmm. this content sequence or the six different types of content that I've mentioned will ensure that you've hopefully put in place the right content at the right time to people as they discover you and as they go through the experience with your brand. Because for instance, if you don't have any help content, then it might be the case where you do a great job of building that awareness, of Mm -hmm. building that reputation as a business. But when they start searching for common questions in relation to what you do as a business, in relation to your industry, they might surface other brands and get distracted. They might end up going somewhere else. So before a brand spends any significant amount of money on paid advertising to generate that demand, it's absolutely essential in my mind that you do that content marketing audit to determine that you are serving those different types of content. So when customers reach that appropriate point in your funnel, uh, you've got exactly to serve them what they require at that moment in time. Otherwise, you might lose them. Absolutely. You're right. And it's not very easy work. We might need to talk about some of the technicalities in executing all this and what your thoughts are around that. But you're right in terms of the strategy. Another content approach or another marketing approach is the account-based marketing model. And that has involved a lot these days. You're probably, not many people I've spoken to are aware of, for example, account-based podcasting, but I know you are aware of that. But there are other different areas of account-based marketing. And I would like to get your thoughts in general on how account-based marketing plays out in, in the pump and funnel content strategy model in terms of the basics. I'm going to be like a broken record here because Please. I think a lot of the failures of account-based marketing is not having the right content to share with the, the, the people at the right time. So account-based marketing is about obviously targeting niche companies that you've identified as well, but it's taking them to the point of dis- discovering from discovering you um, to hopefully doing business with you. And that sales cycle could take a year or or could take longer if they're maybe sticking with the software example if they're currently using some piece of software they, they they might be signed in to use a competitor for the next year or so before they can even consider you so you've got to keep them interested over that period of time and you don't want to be reaching out to people on a monthly basis, asking them the same old question, are you ready to do business with us? How's your life today, Mr. Prospect? Or asking some (laughs) random random boring question. If you can get to understand what their challenges are, what their frustrations are, and knowing what kind of content that you can offer, and then blending them together to hopefully actually being there to assist them along the way, while subtly uh, reminding them 
that your brand exists without overtly selling to them, then that's certainly going to enhance your conversion rates by enhancing the conversation on the way to hopefully doing business with you in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you just crushed it with regards to that. And what I would like to say with B2B digital buying or just B2B buying in general, or even B2C is that customers are now aware and we need to start to shift our thinking towards the trend that customers are now in control. Maybe five, 10 years from now, a bit before now, it was us marketers in control. And it always looks like as if it's marketers that create the market. But as people like Rand Fishkin, formerly of Moss, now of Spactoro mentioned, we need to start focusing on the clients because they determine the market. It's about their own needs. It's about the job that needs to be done and how we can use that to develop unique solutions that can help them to solve their needs and like and that can also help them to expand in terms of expansion of needs. Again, we don't expand the needs, they do. And in those expansions, we can always make them advocates, make them loyalists, drive lifetime value, and make as much commercial value as we can. But not until we make content marketing right for us. Now, a few technical details, data-driven approaches, I would call it, when it comes to the execution. So I've been thinking about this. There are a lot of moving parts, David, I will not lie. <laughs> and uh, I will not be surprised if some of our listeners are not overwhelmed. But I know you have a very great way of doing this, knowing your pedigree in the content marketing space. So is there a way you use technology to test content, repurpose content, layer content, the right content for the right customers, and doing those with at different touch points. Is there a way you do that with some level of automation or even if it's just process optimization? And what are your recommendations for small marketing teams, for agencies that are willing to systemize this entire thing so that we are communicating to clients at a multi-moment level. So I operate in a small niche in that I produce podcasts, video shows and books for BDB brands, largely in the UK. I've got some international clients as well, but mm -hmm. it's quite a niche audience. I'm looking to speak to a senior content marketing manager within a B2B organization and to see if they have a podcast already to see if you have a desire to have a podcast or even turn that into more. So I don't have a need to produce different types of content for different people. I, I can be yeah. very definitive in terms of the type of content that I produce. And I think that if you're marketing to multiple personas, then mm -hmm. to a certain degree, you need to think like a niche business to every okay. one of those personas and understand the products and services that you offer that is likely to appeal to that particular persona and perhaps have a, a series of outreach efforts, uh, a series of pieces of content and perhaps an email marketing funnel that tailors content directly to that particular target audience. So that, that would probably be the, the way that I tend to approach targeting, but in terms of content and my use of technology. So AI is obviously changing a lot of things at the moment. And yeah. 
I was waiting for you to talk about AI. Yeah, it's challenging for writers at the moment. It's challenging maybe for social media posters at the moment. I think for us longer form content producers, we've got a bit of time. I think we've got about three years or so. So I think that this type of long form content needs to be high quality. It needs to be well planned out. It needs to be delivered in front of a decent microphone and decent camera and not wasting the the viewer or listener's time at all. But if we do, do produce that great piece of long form content, I think there are many AI tools out there that, that can do a good job of taking that content and quickly sharing it in many places. And Dots, the, that, that's exactly obviously what you do with your content as well. I'd be interested to hear what you do with your content, but in terms of what I do, I often use or have used otter.ai quite a bit in the past to produce transcriptions. There are many tools yeah. as a result of GTP4 that can provide a- accurate transcriptions as well nowadays. So that space is fairly wide open for different opportunities. There are AI tools that specialize in taking a long form piece of video or audio and then breaking that piece down. Tools like Vidya is a tool that I've started experimenting with quite recently and is really nice at producing different forms of video about a minute long or so. So if you've produced an hour long discussion, that tool can produce maybe 30 or 40 different videos. Um, And then you can share that um, in your social channels as well. There's different social sharing services that I've done fairly manually over the last few years because I've focused more on servicing clients. Thankfully, I've had a few clients come to me, so I haven't had to do an awful lot of outreach over the last few years, but I'm looking to get back into the social media management game as well. And there are a few tools that I've been looking at. I can possibly find you the name of the tool um, if you would like that I've intended to try. I'm just looking in my calendar at the moment as we speak just Mm -hmm. to see if i can actually find the name of the tool and it's publer so publer.io is the tool that i intend to try and use but i haven't actually used much and that seems to be an ai powered social media management tool so you can take your videos from a service like video.ai and then put it into publer and they'll automatically generate social media posts for you and generate small intro text intros to that as well and share that as well. So I think the key messages is you can probably use AI now for short form content that's been created as a result of your quality long form content that you've taken a while to produce. Nice. I have not learned about AI, the Pobla tool, but I am just making a note of it right now. I'm going to be testing it as well. And I agree with you in terms of the use of AI and some of the other uses out there. Of course, I will share some of the things that I know on my end. But before then, just to add to what you said, it's strategy is important. And I like what you mentioned about, about being niche. I think one way to reduce this potential strategic confusion that might come with trying to reach out to people across journeys, channels, platforms, jobs to be done, and all these factors is being niche. We cannot serve everybody. It's, that is the truth about the matter. You need to find your niche. I know some people are starting to be cynical about the concepts of niches and saying there might be exhaustion and things like that. If you know how to collect the dots, you can find a way to expand on your niche or have alternate niches and things like that. But what I would say is that as a business, of course, you are looking at things around your product line, your full product market fit and things like that to have your set niche. Consider that like as the root 
of your big tree. And that will may really make things easier. Uh, I think before tools is having the strategic layout on how everything is going to play out. For example, if you were listening at the beginning, David said some things in terms of the process to developing uh, podcasts into books and why there needs to be like a strategy in place for those podcasts and there needs to be all the steps and to make sure everything is well connected. And then once that is done, you can start to look at, from my opinion, what are some of the seed content verticals, I, use, I call them verticals, that you, you use, that you can use to produce all kinds of content that are, of course, relevant. And aside from Otter, which I also use, I use Descript. Descript is a very robust tool, whether it's with the AI transcription and even repurposing into all that kinds of media types and things like that. For the yeah, recording, it's, it's, I do. It's, it's, yeah, go ahead. It's, it's great. Sorry. I mean, Descript is a useful tool that I've experimented with, and they've had a lot of different functionality over the last year or so. Over the, uh, like a year ago plus, they didn't have functionalities such as exporting your audio in a standard loudness and dealing well with multiple mm-hmm. tracks. So you've got more editing capability in there that you used to. I still generally use Adobe Premiere Pro in Audition for my clients because there's a lot more tweaking that you can do with that. But these automated mm-hmm. tools like the scripts have certainly come a long way. Yeah, absolutely. And all these other tools are well now have AI capabilities. Adobe themselves uh, have a way of cleaning up audio in one click. You have, sorry, YouTube or Instagram reels, Maker, and all these other tools out there that leverage technology and that leverage AI. The only so, one thing that I, w- I want to just add about AI is it's mm, not a magic bullet. And the, if you want to position yourself as being better than other brands out there. You have to do things a little bit differently and spend more time on something and produce something of higher quality than the competition. If the yeah. you've got a hundred competitors out there that are all using AI to produce videos, if you start really adding your personality to that and producing a high quality piece and actually not using AI to edit your audio, getting a, a great microphone, knowing how to use it correctly and all these things like great quality video and not relying on automated AI editing as well, ultimately your content is going to be a bit better and a bit different compared to the competition. So don't use the easy choice and fall back in AI all, all the time. Yeah, I, I think it's important to say that. And I'm also well up to that. Just use AI as the enabler. Don't use it as the work gets your job done as well. And sometimes AI makes us to take tactics forward before strategy. So it's important for us to be careful of that confusion. You need to have your strategy first. And I would like to write on that, David, with what many have called the EAT Google content writing or content making approach. EAT being experience, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. So folks like Neil Patel and Co have said, yes, there's AI, but we need to use this mindset if you're going to create, like you said, high quality content, you want to stand out one out of 100. But my question is, there's still a lot of things changing around this. And I'm wondering, how do we balance it out when writing for EEAT and also trying to rank for SEO keywords? How do we strike that balance? Or is it one phase after the next? How do you typically do it in your space? So to me, it was easier when it was just three letters, uh, but now it's four. <laughs> You're wondering if to pronounce it eat or eat. I'm not sure if I would call that a mindset because it's not the way I would think about producing content as I'm producing it. To okay. me, a lot of it is about 
structure. So how you structure also your website, how you structure your social media profiles as well. So for example, mm-hmm. experience, search engines will start to know who you are. Um, how is your LinkedIn profile structured? Can you enhance that? Can you improve that as well? Expertise? Well, you can demonstrate that by continually publishing great content and having people interacting with it and sharing it. Uh, so that yeah. is a lot of traditional digital marketing sharing and perhaps building links, having relationships, producing podcasts either yourself or being on other shows as well. And that drives your authority and and, and trustworthiness. You, you can incorporate mm-hmm. elements on your website. Again, different testimonials as well. You can associate yourself with other websites as well. So structure is to me what uh, eat is about and when you're producing the content uh, you're just aiming to produce a great high quality piece of content when you're publishing it you want to do things like add different elements to it that appeal to the search engine such as having a a lovely heading having a nice summary to begin with maybe having some different types of structure in there such as bullet points as well and different subheadings in there as well and you're perhaps marking it up with some schema. So okay. all, all that is structure of what you're doing as opposed to mindset to me. Oh yeah, makes sense, makes sense. So you want to think about some of the things that have been mentioned in terms of the tactical implementations on how you can make it work. But just as David said, it starts from having quality content and then you can structure it as you like. Quality content is not easy, but I think in this age where it's man versus machine, you're going to win with originality. One more question, David, before I let you go. Aside from the marketing tools, in terms of qualitative insights for content optimization, are there ways that you think people can, or marketers can garner data from stakeholders? And by stakeholders, employees, customers, your trolls online, and so on and so forth. How do you typically gather qualitative insights to optimize your content so that it continues to hold true for the pump and funnel strategic model? Sure. Okay. So it depends on the type of content that you're talking about there. The purpose of hub content is that so people discover you to begin with. They love the content and they follow through and perhaps subscribe to you or come back to you. So if that's your goal, then you can measure that by the percentage of subscribers. With your help content, the purpose of that is to assist people with the particular query or question that they've got. So how far are people scrolling on your page? How long are they spending on your page? Are they going to other places on your site afterwards as well? And when they actually become a customer, can you incorporate perhaps some set of questions, just brief questions that tell you what content they engaged with when mm-hmm. considering doing business with you and what was it about that piece of content that that made you appealing to them? You've got the hub content, the episodic content, the podcasting type content. So then it's a case of taking people who perhaps might have forgotten about you into reminding them that your brand exists. It's very hard to, I think, have a direct call to action from a podcast. To me, certainly Mm. from a B2B perspective, a podcast or a video show is all about reminding people that you exist, getting them to subscribe to your content. So when Mm. they're ready to do business with you, they come back to you as well. Ultimately, I think all that is about improving conversion rates. That's the bottom line. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that makes a lot of sense. Many people talk about content marketing, but I, I am convinced that this is one of the most unique perspectives that we've had so far. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And when it comes to the pump and funnel concept itself, I think is what people should take on going forward. I like what you said in terms of the the pool of customer loyalty. I can't remember what you said there. But, oh, know, yes, the lake that, of loyalty. Yes, at the bottom. The yes. lake of oh, loyalty. Once you convert people, you don't want to lose them. You don't want them to drop out from being a customer because you've done all the hard work. So what are you doing in the lake of loyalty to encourage them to stay longer as a client? Yeah, absolutely. So where can our business leaders find you if they need help learning more about this and if they also need help with your services and getting coaching and you also want to mention your course as well, which I took prior to this episode. So yeah, please shoot. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've got a LinkedIn learning course, which is an introduction to content marketing for BDB brands. You can easily find that in LinkedIn learning. If you want to connect with me personally on LinkedIn, feel free to do that. David Bain, David B-A-I-N. And I should be easy enough to find there as well. So feel free to connect with me or just ask me a question on there. And if you're wondering about what my business does, then go to castingcred.com. Thank you so much for that. That's all for today, guys. Please see more episodes at dotslovesmarketing.com and subscribe to the Marketing Leadership Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Till next episode, connect the dots. Thank you for listening to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. There will be links to any resources mentioned in today's show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Listen Network, where podcasts meet their potential. If you're a brand needing podcast episode promotion or podcast follower promotion, Listen Network is here to give you the best in-class analytics, podcast growth attribution, and podcast promotion success. Find out more at www.listennetwork.co.